Well, good morning. There was a guy named Clovis Chappelle. He was an author. And uh, he was speaking and writing about Pompeii, the city that was overtaken by Mount Vesuvius. You know, the stuff came flying out, the lava everywhere, and it kind of surprised the city. And it also actually locked life in there. And you were actually seeing life trapped by the lava because it caught them by surprise. There was one woman they actually found when they were doing some archaeological digs. And her feet were headed like almost in a run position towards the city gate, like right at the city gate running down the street. But her hand, she was reaching back and she was frozen, if you use that word with lava, I don't know. She was somehow stuck in the lava, right, reaching back. And just beyond her grasp was, I'm letting your mind run, a bag of pearls. She was reaching back for a bag of pearls. And obviously for her, she was like, this, now this could change my life. I need to have that. And so in the midst of running away and running the right direction towards life, she actually reached back and lost it all. Chappelle wrote this. Though death was hard at her heels and life was beckoning beyond the city gates, she could not shake the spell of the pearls. It was not the eruption of Vesuvius that made her love for pearls more than life. It only froze those in her attitude of greed. How often we choose priorities in life. And honestly, in the moment, we'd be questioned, and we might not even answer that way. But then when the pressure's on, that's when we make that priority decision, and it all bubbles up to the top, and we see, right? Priorities, it's everything. A big question for us, well, what's our priority? How are we living life? What would we be reaching back for? Or would we run appropriately towards the life that God's calling us to? You know, the question we're looking at today real specifically is what priority should the word of God be taking in our life? We're in the middle of a series called Without Apology. Without Apology. Why did we choose that title? Well, because one of our pillars here at Harvest is that we will preach the word of God without apology. Why? Why are we so committed to bringing this every Sunday and in small groups and in our large group gatherings? And why are we preaching the word without apology? What's so great about the Bible? That's the six-week series we're in. We're answering some various questions each week on it. So the question today is, what priority should this word be taking in our lives? What's the priority? So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. We've got ushers coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll get one to you, okay? Uh, raise your hand, we'll get a Bible to you. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. We're answering the question, so what priority should the Word of God have? What should we know about it and how should we be giving a priority in our life? So first, it's sacred and trusted. Follow those that follow the word. It's sacred and trusted. Follow those that follow the word. I'll just start in verse 10 here. Paul's writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor of a church. Here's some words Paul has for him. You, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, even my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. I'll just stop there for the moment. He gives a nice, heavy list 
of things that should be followed when we're following after someone who's following after God. First, he says, follow my teaching. You know, the words and the doctrines, the things that I clearly believe and understand and the truth that I claim from Scripture and what is true about God, the things that I would proclaim, follow those. Know them, lock into them, share them with others, make them a part of your life. Follow my teaching. Then he says, follow my conduct. You know, the behavior that I have, the very outcroppings of those beliefs and thoughts. You know, the things that I do, the things that I say, the ways that I react, the, well, follow my conduct. That's kind of a scary one, isn't it? Have you ever thought about turning to somebody and saying, just do like I'm doing, you'll be fine. Think about that weight, right? That's a big deal, right? And most of us are going, yeah, I don't think I'd whisper those words to somebody. We really need to be headed for an ability to be able to say that. God, I'm so following after you that I am so willing to turn to somebody else and say, just do like I'm doing, dude. I got it together. Just run with me. Yeah, I make some mistakes, but I also know how to say, please forgive me and do like I'm doing. That's what he's saying. May your conduct kind of match mine. My aim in life. Follow my aim in life. I love that Paul put this in here. Okay. God, through the Holy Spirit, working with Paul, says, vision matters. Like, it really does matter what the big picture target is and where we're headed. Make sure you know what the big goal is, right? All too often, we really understand the trees within the forest, but truly, we have no label for the forest. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish, but today I'm going to do these five things. Why? Why those five? Why not five others? And are you sure that's accomplishing where God wants you to go? And The best thing we can do is have vision and purpose and aim. Like, have a target, try to hit it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, simple statement, deer hunting. I'm out with my daughter, Megan, and she takes a shot and she misses the target. I look at her and I said, what happened? She goes, I don't know. I closed my eyes. (laughs) Right? It's, It's easier to miss when our eyes are closed. It's easier to not hit anything when we don't know what we're aiming for. Be careful. Make sure you've got aim and purpose. What's Paul's? That God might be glorified. That everything in my life is about lifting him up. May he be shown off. Not about my comfort. It's about my king. Let's make sure we're headed with aim. And then he says after it, my faith. Those God-trusting moments you see in me. Those times where you see me challenged and you can see my spiritual life just bubbling up to the top and pouring out. You're seeing my faith. Follow that. Follow the way I trust in God. My patience. Oh, let's move on, right? (laughs) My patience. The remaining under. The willingness to be in some tough circumstances and hang on well. Not just hang on. But hang on well. Patience. My love. My care for one another. A good way to say love is you before me. Your needs being considered. I'm taking care of you. It's not just about me. I mean, I step in a room and the first thing we always think about is, well, what about me? How does this affect me? You know, and maybe I don't like the following list of whatever things. Okay, love. Well, what about you? How are you doing? Has somebody reached out to you? Is somebody considering the 
temperature for you in the room, right? Love. It's considering the others, you before me. And then my steadfastness, uh, how I do not change. I do not move. I am trustworthy. I'm there. Follow these things. You know, as you go through life and as you go through life here at Harvest, be looking for somebody or somebody's that you can lock into like this. People in your small group or maybe it's your small group leader or friends that you have around that as well where you can say, I've got some people that are modeling the stuff that I need to be going after. And as long as I've got them running right around me and I'm running with them, I'm getting better each day. I'm seeing more of what God has for me and I'm learning. Follow those who are following God's word. Model what they're modeling. That's what he's challenging. All right? Now he goes into the next piece of modeling and following, one that we might want to skip typically, right? Verse 11. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. From Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Well, here's what was going on, okay, if you want to write this down. Acts 13 and 14, that's where these events are taking place. So at Antioch, they come in, Paul and a few others, and they're sharing what's going on in Acts 13 and 14. They're, they're challenging and they're talking with some guys. And quite frankly, there's a pretty good Jewish contingent that's not real happy. And so they kind of raise up against, and it gets verbal. It's not even exactly clear. It may have even gotten a little physical, but they certainly knew that they were in a spot where they weren't welcome and they were probably going to get injured in some way. It's time to move on. So with that little bits of pressure, those pieces of pressure, they moved out of Antioch. And hear me, this wasn't some, you know, I don't really like what you're saying. Oh, well, then we'll move on. It's not that. It really was raising up. It was getting hot, okay? And so they move on. So they go to Iconium. And as they're there, they're beginning to bring the same word and the the passion of who Jesus Christ is and the power of salvation in him and and how it's not just this Jewish culture and the Old Testament thing, but there's this, this guy named Jesus and he's actually the Messiah and you need to follow him. And and the Jews there were getting stirred up too. But here it got a little bit worse. Here they picked up stones and they said, if you don't leave, you're dead. Do you understand? We will stone you. Get out of here. That's heresy and we don't want to hear it. Leave this place. Okay? And so they left this place. So you can say, if somebody threatens to stone you, it's biblical to leave. Paul did it, right? Okay, so things to learn along the way, right? So he ends up leaving Iconium. They end up going to the next place, Lystra, a nearby town, okay? And they're doing the same preaching there and they're bringing the same passion there and they're bringing the same word there and and these guys are getting ticked off too and some Jews are raising up and and then the guys from Antioch and Iconium all kind of come together and they take a little road trip. And they go over to Lystra, and now they connect up with all the Lystra boys, and they start saying, well, we threatened to stone them back there, and they keep it up. Let's do it. And so they all grab stones, and they hit them repeatedly, over and over again, head and body, bricks and stones, and everything wailing them to the point where blood is drawn, where bones may have been broken. We don't know how bad it was, bad enough that he was laying lifeless and bloodied. And dragged out of the town and left for dead. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. That's what he's talking about. Which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescued me. Not like every time they chucked a stone, it just went right over the top of me. Or I was able to duck out of the way, you know, and nothing hit me. Not rescue me like it didn't hurt. Nothing ever hit. 
rescued me as in I didn't die. I'm still alive and I'm still breathing. And I'm still preaching the truth of Christ crucified. The Lord rescued me to continue his ministry of reconciliation. And God help me, I will. That's what Paul's saying. Yeah, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts badly. But God will keep you moving forward where he wants you to go. Suffering through persecutions and sufferings. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, great. How uplifting, right? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all who trust in Jesus, you'll be persecuted. It doesn't say that. It says all who desire to live a godly life. When you start going for that, I want to reflect his glory. I want my life changed. Lord, change me. I'm willing to just spill to the streets. I'm going to take this love where it needs to go. I love you. You've rocked my world. I'm ready to be used. God, do whatever you want. Watch out. Stuff's coming. That's what it says. If you want to be an impact to the kingdom of God, there's another kingdom. And the kingdom of hell and the evil kingdom of hell at that, Satan has a plan. This is not Satan's plan. Oh, look, they're really fired up. Let's just hang on and see if it goes away. Okay, that's not the plan. Or, oh, oh, look, they're really starting to grasp what the word means. That's so exciting for them. Middle, those embers will die down, I'm sure. Bad plan. No, what he's going to do is come rushing in and calm the embers. Okay, it's time to get things less stoked up and we'll do it through persecution and we'll do it through suffering and we'll do it through whispering and we'll do it any way we can. Right. Just know if you decide to get fired up, stuff's going to come from the outside. Okay, now hear me on this. Persecution should never come from inside. From the church to the church. That's sick. Okay, we have to be really careful that we as a body work very carefully together on how to grow. There are passages like Galatians 6.1 that talk about coming alongside of each other and challenging each other with the truth and, and making sure that it's with gentleness and respect and patience as we challenge for change. But we do challenge, right? So we do come alongside and we do help for change. And yet, we're not nitpicking along the way. Do you know what I'm talking about? We're not doing the little where you feel like my word, I can't breathe around here. Everybody's constantly pointing out what I'm doing wrong. And I never feel like I'm being lifted up and shame on us. If the Christian walk has really become license for me to say, well, I've achieved so much in my life that I'll now turn to you and show you what you haven't achieved. That's not what it's about. Okay. So how do we know when we should go to somebody and and what we should say? And how do we make sure that we're not just a vehicle for persecution of somebody, but instead we're really there to help someone grow? How do we know? Well, I don't know that I can give it full due here because that's about a six-week sermon series. But I'll give you these three statements, okay? So three ways that I can make sure I'm not a persecution element. I'm actually a growing element. Number one, make sure you say, with whatever is bothering me, with whatever I need, I feel need to address... Should I go and talk to the person? Should I even go? That's the question you need to ask. Should I go? Well, how do I know if I should go? A couple little tips on it. Number one, is it sin? 
I mean, is it biblical sin? And hear me on this. I'm talking about the event that bothers you. Is it sin? I'm not talking about the perception of the heart on it. So I'm just going to use a a lame example, but we're walking in and, and, uh, you know, somebody doesn't open the door for you and you're like, can't believe they didn't think about opening the door for me. What are they thinking about? You know? Okay. So that event, not the best, you know, let's think about others and let's care. Okay. So fine. We think and we, and then we say, they don't love people. They don't love women. Right. And now we're villainizing. Do you see what I'm saying? They should know better than, do you see what I'm saying? That's what we have to be careful of is all of a sudden we try to escalate and villainize when quite frankly, Jeremiah 17 says, man, you don't even know your own heart, let alone the heart of another man. Be careful, right? Let's make sure we just talk about the event. Okay. So is it sin? Second part of that, you know, should I go is I would recommend labeling it. I one to 10 scale. 10 is like, I'm obliterated by what just happened. I'm devastated by what you just did. I'm cut to the core. I may never recover. Ten. Okay. One. I could probably forget about it if somebody took me out for lunch and I was just having a good time. And, but I, I'm bringing it up right here now. You know what I'm saying? Like one to ten. Where are you at with it? And what is this thing? And is it a one or a two? Or is it more like a three or a four or a five? And I really do need to bring it up. And I'm telling you, if it's a one or a two, put the word forbear over it and move on. Okay, we got to be really careful to start. You start bringing up every little thing all the time. You're going to be in a nasty environment. So those low level things, we just got to drop them. And then the mid level, those are the ones you got to kind of consider. Okay, I got to go after it. So should I go? Now I've decided, yeah, I should go. Okay, great. Question number two, then how should I go? So what should it look like as I approach them? Some things we've taught, John and I, as we've taught premarital class in the past, and, you know, Steve and Tiffany are teaching premarital now, and uh, I would recommend it this way. As you go, make sure that you seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's just a subtle couple letters, the difference in those two words, but a massive difference in approach. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. You can't understand if you're telling. You're trying to be understood. So honestly, the power of a question is amazing. And not a question like, you know, you walk in and you, you know, the kind where you go, and the floodlights go on and they're like pouring into their eyes and like, we have vase to make you talk. So I will ask you a few questions now. You know, I'm not talking like that. It's not like an interrogation. I'm talking about just a simple couple questions. You know what I mean? Like just, hey, such and such came up and I was just curious. Like uh, this kind of, honestly, it hurt me a little bit, but I might even be off on it. What, what was going on here? Or what do you think of? Or do you hear what I'm saying? A sense of humility and a sense of prayer. And maybe I even need to learn something in this. And do you hear what I'm saying? Not questioning of interrogation, but questioning like, I'm really here to learn. And, and make sure you're really asking the question because you're willing to learn. Because quite frankly, we often say, well, we need to ask questions first. So we ask the question and we're like, hey, why'd you do that? And they say, well, I did this. That's not good enough, right? Like we're instantly ready to jump in with, I'm going to tell you now what you're wrong, Right? Because really, we just wanted to tell. I was just asking first, because that's the polite thing to do. But now, be careful. Come ready to learn. Prayerfully, humbly, ready to learn. Because it could be that, actually, this is God telling you, you need to back down. It's not that important. You need to adjust on this. So first, should I go? Second, how should I go? And then the third one is, well, what if they came to me? And the answer is, well, make sure that you're ready to hear and figure out what's true. Make sure you're ready to reason that through with them and go to scripture on trying to find some solutions for it. 
This isn't a bunch of subjective world. You know, well, like to me, this is what would be important. Okay, be very careful. We're told all over scripture that we got to make sure we have a bunch of unique experiences here. Each and every one of you represents unique personalities and unique spiritual gifts and unique bents. And I guarantee you that if we all together were starting to talk subjectively about what we all would want to see about where everybody would focus and do and be and we would have a lot of difference of opinion. So let's make sure we go to scripture and see what the whole of scripture presents. It could very well be that you're running into a well, his gifting and personality goes this way and yours goes this way. And so let's be careful. All right. If it is something that needs to be addressed, if it is a sin that's being addressed or, or something that has hurt someone, even if you didn't mean it to be, then then it's time for apologies. It's time for please forgive me. All right. So that's just a simple couple of steps to go after it. Just making sure that we get along as we move through this. So do we just ignore and we don't confront? No, but we do it with skill and we do it seeking to understand. Let's just be careful as we do that. May the church not be the source of persecuting the church. Amen? All right. Enough said. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And now you can imagine Paul is delivering this and he's thinking, they're probably saying to themselves, great. So you're saying, follow Jesus Christ and here's what's going to happen. And it's not very good. And so what a ripoff, right? And so the next verse says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, don't worry, it's worse if you don't know Christ. Trust me, trying to live a life eternally without him just goes from bad to worse. Heads up, you've got the better gig. Run with your Savior. He's going to use things to grow you, but I am going to ask you to forbear and forgive and move along with each other. Okay? All right. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Okay, and here's two things you got to watch for. The whom and the what. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the what, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a whom and a what put together. Follow the people that are following after God. As they're running after the scriptures and they're following what God is teaching them, follow them firmly. Have a whom and a what in your life. That's why we do group life. You heard Pastor Steve talking about small groups. Great place for you to get plugged in. Wonderful opportunity for you to begin to do the friendship, the caring, the ironing, sharpening iron, the the stuff where we really wrestle together in life. Great opportunity for that where there can be a whom and a what in the same place. People that you can do life with and the sacred writings, God's holy scriptures, there for you to be led by. Make sure you're following after those. We can be motivated as we see lives changed, as we see lives following after him. You know, uh, my daughter, Alyssa, she's in seventh grade and uh, she is in a language arts class. And uh, in the middle of her language arts class this year, they've been reading a lot of books that, quite frankly, have wigged her out. They're a little bit more scary or something like that. And so she actually went and asked on this next one that they had to read, could, could we read just kind of anything that's more, and the teacher gave her some guidance, yes, but. And so she came home and she said, what could we read that I'd be like inspired by, but not, not freaked out and scared by so I can't sleep at night? And, and I said, you know what? Have you read kind of like a children's version biography of George Mueller? 
Have you ever? She said, no, I don't even know who that is. So we looked one up. We found one. She got a George Mueller book. And she read that book, a couple hundred pages, over the Christmas break and into the early part of this year. Last week, she came up to me. She put her hands on my knees as I was sitting on the couch. And she leans forward and she says, how could anyone hear the story of George Mueller and think there's no God? Like this little child just experienced the biography of a man who trusted with huge faith, prayed constantly, set up orphanages, was a pastor of thousand-person churches with no amplification. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like big-time booming voice, major heart for people, watching God move, constantly trusting, and seeing all that happened in his life. She was moved to believe more in a God who answers prayer and loves to love those who love him and follow after him, to lavish on him. And she came away saying, wow, that's a big God. That's the value of life on life. You can be a living biography for those around you. You can be a living biography where somebody looks to you and says, wow, God is really working. And likewise, I would ask you, look for living biographies. Look around to where God is working. Be blown away. As you look for those that you can follow who are following hard after him and his word. Okay? That's the first step. Second, how do we put priority in the word in our life? It's fully sufficient. Use the word to equip unto every good work. Use the word to equip unto every good work. Okay, here we go. We're going to start in verse 16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for. And then it goes through a list. All scripture, not some scripture, but all scripture. How much scripture? All scripture. scripture. Say it with me. How much scripture? All All scripture. That's a lot, right? It's not like 92% or, well, everything after whatever, after Genesis 12, everything there, or, you know, well, everything except those Psalms, you know, or it's not that, or or, or what it's not also is, you know, I really think that, that God, well, that stuff in Revelation, I don't know about, right? All scripture, Genesis to Revelation, God's word is God breathed, okay? And some scriptures will say inspired, some of your versions. Okay, what's the word there? And this is really important because the word inspired, like we use it a lot. I'll just tell you, as I started getting this sermon prepped, I started hearing it in our home. We probably use it a couple times a day, inspiring or inspired or whatever. And it's just interesting. It's a very colloquial word. And to us, it's like, you know, you could see somebody walking up in the Art Institute and they stop and they look at a painting and they say, wow, guy was really inspired when he did that, you know? What do we mean by that? Well, that was like, great job. Like, really unique human effort, right? That's what we mean by that. Okay, is that what's meant biblically here? Uh, No, okay? The Greek word is actually theonoustos. Theo, God. Noustos, breathed. And that's why some of your more literal translations say, it is God breathed or God breathed it out, okay? It's absolutely essential that we capture. It's the Holy Spirit working with man to deliver the text, okay? This isn't just a really good man job. It's way bigger than that. 
So we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but a good way to think about it, all right? It's God taking taking prophets and, and taking apostles and, and taking Pharisees, and he's taking these different experiences, and he's building up their life experience and ways of thinking about things and vocabulary in the midst of it, and it's it's becoming like a tool chest for him or a whatever, a paintbrush set for him. And, and as he reaches into this tool chest of a man of experiences and vocabulary and the ways of thinking, he then lifts out exactly what he needs to paint onto the canvas exactly what needs to be set. God breathed. Are you hearing it? That's a big difference than, hey, nice job, nice try, right? This is a big deal. God and man partnering together to give us the very word that he wants said to us, the very ideas that he wants transferred to us. We have his special revealing, as we covered last week in Psalm 19, about who he is. Praise be to God. Amen? All scripture is God breathed. And we have to be really careful with this. I mean, even a simple application, like, for example, you're reading through and some of you may have like the red letter edition, right? Does some of you have a red letter or blue letter? I saw some blue letter editions out there too. Wild ride. Okay. So some of you had these other colors and that's like Jesus is saying that, right? And so, well, obviously, well, those are more important. Like those trump the other, right? Because Jesus is God. And, but hang on, if it's God working with man, then everything that's recorded here is the Holy Spirit God and even Jesus quoting God. So God the, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and there's no trumping. It's not like red beats black or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's the whole of scripture has value. And so Genesis to Revelation and all in between and all scripture is God breathed. Amen? All right, that's where we're going. So that's where we're going. All scripture is God breathed. All right. Next step. So all scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Super profitable. Man, we need to get our hands on some of that stuff, don't we? Like, wow, there's good stuff going on there. How do we get a hold of that? Well, let me just ask you this. Good question was asked to me uh, last week, and I think now is a good time to deal with it. Like, we're, we're holding Bibles in our hands. And they're written in English, typically, right? So we have an English Bible. Now we just talked about this, this God breathing. Does that apply to all of our English Bibles? Like, should we be saying that, you know, I've got the ESV in my hand here. This is inspired. This is God breathed. Is that the right way to say it? Answer? No, actually. Okay. And we have to be careful here. I don't want to go too far offline on it, but this is what we need to say. The original text in the original language, Greek and Hebrew, God working with the original man in the original recording was the event where that theonoustos, that God breathing occurred, okay? And then what they did after that is they went and they made exact copies of that, okay? So now we have an exact copy of what was inspired. It's much like looking in a mirror and you see the image and you're like, that's a perfect replication of, but it's still not the image. It's a copy of, right? You see what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful that we move along understanding that the inspiration speaks of the original and then the detailed copy and accuracy to a very low level lets us know we have a great replication of what was inspired. That's where we're at. Well, what do we do then with the English stuff? Like, how come we have so many English versions? What's up with that? So let me just answer that for a second, okay? Imagine you have the original language, all right, and it's in Greek. And so for a number of years, we're like, 
everybody know Greek. That'll be the fix. All right. We're going to pass out the Greek manuscript. And as long as everybody knows Greek, we're cool. Okay. And then we start handing out the Hebrew and we're like, and Hebrew. Okay. Everybody know Greek and Hebrew and whatever our core language is. And, and then we'll be good. Okay. And, and that was how the church went for a long time, honestly. But the, it becomes a reality that at some point you want to get this into the hands of the people so they can understand what's going on. And converting it to another language is a big deal. So now I take the original language and it's like, I'll just use a lame example, okay? But it's like it says dog in the Greek and so we convert it to dog, right? And then jumped and jumped and the and the and fence and fence. And now it said it in the Greek and now it says it in the English and it's a great representation. And I just did a word for word translation, right? And now it's an awesome usage. I can grasp it in my language and it's, it's a great connection of what was there, right? Okay, now here's the deal. We can also get into some things where then sometimes culturally it meant something there or the way they used it there. And it doesn't, like if we just put it word for word, you'd have to work a little. You got to know the culture a little bit to know what that meant, okay? So to help them out, they would not just translate word for word, but they would also interpret. They would add a little bit of a, maybe we should say it a little bit more like this. And a word or two gets added, or maybe it gets adjusted, right? That kind of thing. And so you see a little bit of adjust going on with it. It's interpretation and translation. Uh, good examples, like the NIV and, and the NLT. And these are great reads, okay? And it gives you a great idea of what's going on in the original, but there isn't an exact one-for-one tie, word-for-word. It's not just translation. There's a little bit extra going on there, a little bit of, let me help you understand it, built into the Bible there, Okay. So that, just so you understand, that's what's going on with that translation. And then all the way out to the far side is sort of like, forget the word for word. Let me just give you a really kind of unusual way to say it or a very catchy way to say it or, or just, uh, it's going to catch the big idea well. And those would be maybe paraphrases, uh, things like the message, things like the living Bible. Okay. Those are helpful reads to go through. Just know this though. It is one angle to looking at it and it is not a close translation. So I'll tell you this, you ain't going to catch me preaching it up here. Why? Because I come up and I start walking word by word through. And all of a sudden I'm walking word by word through what somebody just chose to kind of put on the paper to be an approximation of. I'm going to try to get as close as I can to the original, okay, as I preach up here. So what I'm taking is the ESV. This is a translation that is basically a word-for-word translation from the Greek. It's like as close as you can get to the fence, but on the English side. Okay, so like the ESV, the NASB, even the King James, New King James. Okay, and look, I know there's nuances of difference between them. I don't need emails this week correcting me on that. Like I get it. Okay, but but seriously, it is a literal uh, translation. Those versions. Okay, we're using the ESV up here. That's why I'm preaching the ESV. Does that help you understand? It's a very close approximation to the original language, but all of these are great captures of the word or word idea going along. So you know. You have the very words and thoughts of God passed across into the English and we're moving with it and it can change a life. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Does that make sense? Everybody kind of get it? Really important we touch on that. Okay. So great. Now we've got an English Bible. We know it's a great representation of what's going on. We know it can do some things. Let's go into what it can do. Profitable for teaching. Helping us to be informed of the things we need to know and believe. We can grab doctrine from the word. We can grab understanding from the word. For reproof. Okay, this word literally means to gently help adjust. To gently challenge. 
Okay? Reproof. So this is a soft adjust to your thinking and to your being as you move along. Reproof. Correction. Well, it doesn't just tell you what's wrong, reproof. It also tells you where you need to be. Correct. It gets you into the right spot. So it's stop that, start this kind of, of leads through the word. Okay? For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The very holiness of what God is leading us to can be found in the word. So as we start searching for life problems that we're wrestling with, the word can actually help us with understanding what we need to think like, right? The teaching, what we need to act like, those things that we need reproof on and those things that we need to be corrected on. So our behavior is coming in line and that brings our feelings in line. And all of a sudden we have this great package of thinking and acting and feeling all connected together. And we start running right towards God just as we should be. And it's like the righteousness packaged exactly where he wants us to go. Are you seeing how it comes together? Right thinking leads to right acting, leads to right feeling. And the whole of it together creates a package where you're delivering up righteousness to God Almighty, Him changing you as you bask in His presence. The power of the Word of God can literally help us begin thinking right and acting right. And a holiness starts coming upon us, not because we're muscling it as hard as we can, but because as we bask in his glory, as he transforms us, as he informs us of where we need to head, we begin to become more like him. And his word is a tool that's used to convey the specificity of where he wants us to go. The word of God in your life, it is fully sufficient to do what? The last piece, that the man of God may be competent Equipped for every good work. Competent. Like completely capable of handling. Competent. I've been watching a lot of stuff on the Bears and Packers this week. Okay? And uh, Deion Sanders. I love listening to the guy talk. Uh, half the time, I, I'm not sure what he was saying. But I love listening to the guy talk. He's got great football analogies. He's got great terms that he throws out there. You learn a ton listening to the guy. And he's got a ton of personality. He was talking about Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. Okay. I know he's a Packer, but he was talking about Aaron Rodgers. So some of you are like, yes, and others are like, whatever. Okay. But he's talking about Aaron Rodgers, and he says, the boys just got all that. And two of the other guys look at him and go, all what? He goes, yeah, all that. He's like, got all that. And now for the rest of the week, that's been the big phrase. Like, does he have all that? He's got all that. That's what competent is. Like, you got all that. That's what he's saying. You can literally, by time in the word and time alone with God, like you can be considered like, you got all that. You can be competent. You got it going on with the Lord. He's changing your life. He's shaping you. He's helping you understand. This isn't for one big fathead so you can feel good about yourself. This is like God's literally shaping me. Fully sufficient is the word of God to do that. Make sure you're not trying to just add a bunch of other stuff to it to try to get there. God's word can literally get you there. Spend time with the word. Okay. Let me just say this. We have, uh, we have an educator in our body. We've got a ton of them who love education. And uh, this educator uh, has had a passion about getting uh, the church impacting the kids in the schools. And uh, there were some things that we've done with this person in the past. And, and uh, we've been able to get some Bibles into kids' hands who have asked, right, there's a way to go about this. There's protocol in the school and all that. We're talking public schools here, okay? 
and uh, but protocols have been followed and things are going on and and so there was some Bibles that were given out there were about nine left and so one of the teachers said you know I've been asked a couple of questions and I'm just gonna so hey does anybody want a Bible I mean I can if you ask I can hand it to you I can't come up and just say you know you have to take but she offered him up 16 kids in her classroom go oh are you serious I, I could I could I please and so now all of a sudden they don't have enough and so now they're trying to figure out how do we get more in the hunger for God's word. It's out there. And I'm telling you, sometimes we're the ones who hunger at the least because it's on our bookshelf and we're like, ah, it's right there. And, and I hear it on Sundays and we need to hunger for the word of God. It is fully sufficient to deliver up us having all that being completely competent unto every good work, fully sufficient. Totally trustworthy. God changing you daily. Here's my question. Are you hungering for the word? Are you so hungering for it that daily you're ready to go after it? I mean, we're in the middle of a 30-day challenge right now where we've been as a body five days a week for six weeks. We're going through the word. How are you doing with it? Are you following with us? Maybe you're like, I started. I'm just kind of softening up. And let's make this week a no softness with me. Let's make this week, I'm going to read each day. I'm going to get through this material. Lord, I want to see you and I want to be changed by you. And maybe you're like, I I haven't been doing it up until now. You know what? Good news for you. We're just at the end of 2 Corinthians 6 and there's this big topic change coming and it's jump in with us this week. We can grab the 30-day challenge bookmark at the back on the information table. can get it on the website. Get in the word with us. Go after him. Let's watch him change us. And then watch him change us. Know what I'm saying? Like, let's start individually and then let's go corporately. God, may your word be viewed as fully sufficient. Lord, I want to see what you have to teach me. I want to see what I need to let go of. Reproof. I want to see where I need to head. Correction. Lord, I want to be running hard after you. Training in righteousness. That's where we can be headed with the scriptures, okay? Fully sufficient. Let me just read this statement, fully sufficient. It means completely capable alone to provide all that's necessary. And hear me, it's on those non-physical problems, okay? It's the stuff that's in your your thinking and your feeling and your being interior, okay? It's not, oh, I broke my arm, we'll read Ephesians 3, okay? Does everybody get that? You hearing it? Like for the physical, we get going to the physical for fix, okay? But be careful. When there are non-physical issues, we're going to be going to the word for it, all right? Okay, don't want to be misquoted. So again, we don't need emails there, right? Okay. All right. So first, follow after the model of somebody who's following after the word. Second, it's fully sufficient. Go after it in your life. And third, it's essential. Make sure you're at a church that preaches the word of God without apology. It's essential. Make sure you're at a church that preaches the word of God without apology. I'm just going to walk through four, one through five real quickly here. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God. I charge you. Have you ever said that to somebody? You walk up and you're like, I charge you to do this, right? That sounds pretty authoritative. It is. It doesn't mean, hey, I got a little recommendation for you. Or have you considered? Like, that's not what it means. It means do this. This is something you need to do. And then he says, oh, by the way, I've got witnesses on this command. Who are his witnesses? In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, the one who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's who I'm saying this in front of. 
You need to know that the authority and the witnesses I have are the God of the universe, the one who holds all of us as judge. And he is simply saying this, you make sure that word is brought. Do this. He says, verse 2, starts it out. Preach the word. Oh, that's kind of basic, right? Like, duh. Well, we, we think it is, but then we get into it and we start using the word in all different sorts of ways. So what does it mean to preach the word? What's he talking about? In context, what does he want accomplished? What's he saying? Well, let's read right after it. Be ready in season and out of season. Like not preach the word once a year. Make sure it's always a steady diet. Be ready at all times to give the word. More than that, be ready in season and out of season. And then it says, these are the things I want you to do. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching the word on a Sunday morning needs to include reproving. We need to stop doing this. This has to stop. Gently, with love, but this needs to stop. And rebuking, okay, that actually means a stern challenge. Like, we've talked about this. Come on, guys, you see what's going on in the word? Like, this needs to stop. This has got to end. No more here. Not on my watch, right? These kinds of phrases. This is authoritative preaching from the word, right? This is doing what we're called to do. This little portion is actually written mostly to me and to our pastors who are up here, like Steve and Kent and our pastors who preach over the summer. And we better be bringing it this way. And for you to say, you better be bringing it this way. Do you understand? Like we need to be held accountable that there has to be life from the front. The word needs to be brought in a way that reproves and rebukes that it exhorts at the end there. That means calls you to a positive challenge. Here's where we need to be. It's not just some big bash session. It's we also need to be over here. It's this idea of holiness coming upon all of us as we let the word take authority in this room on a Sunday morning. As we let the word take authority even in a small group time. We need to preach the word. What it doesn't mean, preaching the word, it doesn't mean to politely and gently suggest possibilities of what it might suggest had one considered it from this angle. Do you hear how much I'm backing off? This is what it doesn't mean. Well, I read the word and it kind of meant this to me. What's it mean to you? Are you hearing that? Like all of a sudden the truth is found in each of us and we can be the sanctioning statement on what's right and wrong. and, And so I'll tell you what I think and you can tell me what you think and then we'll all have a think. Think. Right? That's, that, that is not preaching the word. That is not. That is not where we're going here at Harvest. We are going to be doing Second Peter 4, 1 through 5 with all we have. Okay? So preach the word. Uh, by the way, a little side statement. The word better not be boring. Like, if it's boring, I think that's saying something about the presenter. We got some issues. Like it should be captivate, captivating. It should take us. It should launch us to another level. We should feel a sense of life and of hope and of joy and of possibility. We should see, feel a sense of, I need to let go of that. And I got to be headed somewhere else. And as I'm walking out, I've got some things I'm going to be working on. And if the word is boring, we're doing something wrong. So we need to be talked to if that's going on. Okay, now be careful when I say that. But seriously, we need to be following through on this word, having life in this room. And it will if we do what God tells us to. His Holy Spirit will use it mightily. And we will be amazed at what's going on. 
And then he just ends very simply with this, verse 3. Hey, Timothy, I basically was telling you you should bring the word pretty heavily. News for you, though, there's going to be some that don't like that. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Are you hearing it? Their own passions. Like they will become the definer of what's right and wrong, and it's their own passions that are going to define it. And they're going to say, dude, you're just not doing it for me. I'm just telling you, I don't like the way it's coming down here. It's just not moving for me. Like I'm, I'm more moved over there. And then invariably you see that person go to a church where they're actually not really preaching the word. They're actually just sort of half presenting, half sort of, and what do you think? And, and this person is living in their own passions. Okay. Let's be careful that we allow our passions to go underneath the word. The word takes preeminence. What priority should it have? I'll change if I need to change. May God be glorified. Amen. That's a big deal. All right. And then we just end with simply this message to the, to the preacher. As for you, always be sober-minded, like thinking clearly. Endure suffering. You're going to take some hits, dude. That's what ministry is. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfill your ministry. Lives better be on fire. People better be motivated to be reconciled to God Almighty. We have an amazing word of God. And it truly can rock our world. Here's my request. Are you ready to have an earth-shattering, window-rattling, life-altering experience with God? Those are some James McDonald terms. One, I love the little buzzwords on it. Are you ready to have an earth-shattering, or earth-shattering? Yeah, window-rattling, life-altering time with God. It's time in the Word. Letting the Holy Spirit move, and you will be rocked. Let's let God change us as we give him all of us so that he can be glorified. Let's pray.